0: Uh, and and or this, I will say this too, that text any question you want and we'll, we'll answer it, you know, it may not be today, <laughs> but, we, but we, we love to, to be clear on what we're trying to say here. So, uh, yeah, so I said turn to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, if you don't know where that is, you all know where Zechariah is, so just go forward a few books and you'll get into Mark. Uh, <laughs> We just finished the book of Zechariah, and I kept saying, if you don't know where Zechariah is, go to Matthew and just back up a few pages. <laughs> but now you all know where Zechariah is, so let's move forward to Mark. We talked a little bit last week about how fantastic uh, Mark's story is. This, the gentleman who wrote this book, uh, he had a Hebrew name named John, uh, Yohanan, and then he had this Roman name, Mark. Marcus, uh, beautiful, actually, picture of what's going on in, in the New Testament, uh, going from a purely Jewish Old Testament to a glorious transition to a very, very Gentile church uh, by the end of, of the New Testament, and that's where we are, the age of the Gentiles at this time, primarily the church is composed, not exclusively, but primarily. And John Mark has this amazing personal story, uh, because remember last week, and I, I truthfully, I kind of honestly, sort of, uh, in my excitement, skipped over the punchline last week. I don't know if any of you picked that up. I think I skipped over it. Uh, we were in a little bit of a hurry. We had communion as long service, uh, but this because Mark has this really compelling personal story. Where uh, probably Peter, you might think St. Peter the Apostle, personally led him to Christ. And, and he, he grew so fast, and he was in the church, this booming, beautiful new church, newish. You know, all the churches were new then. Uh, we're 108 years old, and uh, we would be very old by then, by that standard. And it's in Antioch, it's the place where they were first called Christians. Little Christ's, this booming church in Antioch, and there were these leaders like this guy named Paul, <laughs> who used to be a Pharisee who had murdered a bunch of Christians, and he's saved, and he's become this amazing teacher. And he seems to know so much, because God directly revealed to him so much. And they had this other guy named Barnabas, who's an amazing guy, who's actually John Mark's uncle. Uh, or perhaps cousin they're somehow very closely related and there's another guy named Silas who's you know these are like great leaders of the church and this exciting church and then then the holy spirit directs the church to send out the first you know first flight to the moon you know Apollo 11 they're going to walk on the moon we're going to send you out as missionaries you're going to travel the world preaching the gospel uh, in Asia Minor, Turkey, modern-day Turkey, and they choose, they choose Paul and Barnabas, and du- directly the Holy Spirit directed them to do that, that as a church. So they, they did that, and, and then lo and behold, John Mark gets to go with them. He's this young guy going off, this, you know, the adventure, the am- amazement, the privilege uh, the excitement and he gets out there and it's it's tough out there they're running into some amazing opposition but Paul and Barnabas are so bold and they're preaching the gospel they go into the synagogues I mean, they're Jewish. They belong there. And uh, the synagogues had this text system. You know, if you had a question, you could text it in and the rabbi would answer it. <laughs> no, that sounds a little funny, but they were actually very, very open. <laughs> if you, you could speak, you could stand up and speak. With You could read the scripture uh, more, more so than we do, right? Uh, that's how Jesus spoke in several synagogues as well. But anyway... It's really kind of scary out there or something. We don't know what went on. But John Mark said, after like, I think a town or two, said, enough for me. I'm going back home, guys. So their helper, their assistant, whom they were depending on, John Mark, goes back. Then fast forward some time period, uh, let's say a year. I don't know exactly the time period, maybe two years. Um, It's time to go out on another missionary journey. The church says, okay, Paul and Barnabas, why don't you guys go out again? And they're getting all ready to go, and Barnabas says, hey, let's let's take John Mark again. You know, my, my nephew, uh, I think he's ready to go this time, or something along those lines, okay? I'm paraphrasing. Uh, but Paul says, no way. We're not going to take that guy. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to let him let me down again. And with a little bit of imagination you can think that that must have been very, very discouraging to John Mark and embarrassing and a a cause for shame in John Mark's life. I don't think I'm reading too much into it. I think that's the case. Um, I had a little experience like that, too. Uh, I think it was sometime when I was in Bible college. I wrote to a missionary saying hey i want to i want to come out and just do a p- free internship with you for the summer you know can i do that and i you know i wrote this <laughs> this is back before computers right so i wrote this handwritten you know letter with misspell and cr- cr- crossings out and this sort of thing I, I was barely literate still am barely literate <laughs> I signed it with an X and <laughs> anyway for some godly reason they said mm, we're not sure if you're really ready for this they said no and I was like really embarrassed and upset and sad and uh, you know for years I carried this sort of like grudge thing against those dear missionaries um, so I've had a little bit of that experience. And this is a much higher level. You know, this is huge. So the beautiful thing is, then, subsequent to that, he writes the Gospel of Mark. He probably travels to Rome, probably hooks up with Peter. We know from a church father named Papias that he and Peter were close. And uh, Papias says that he, Mark actually became the interpreter for Peter, and that, that might even have meant uh, the in bilingual s- situations, he would translate his sermons, uh, you know, into a you know language. We don't know exactly, but he spent a lot of time. So what we're reading here is what Saint Peter uh, thought about the life of Christ. This is sort of the Gospel of Saint Peter. There is no Gospel of Saint Peter, but this is pr- probably his sermons his teachings, uh, and his emphasis. Uh, honestly, the, the cool thing about Mark is it's like, boom, action. And you'll see it as you read it. Immediately, immediately, immediately. You know, this sounds like a guy who would jump out of a fishing boat to swim to Jesus. You know, Not a lot of thought here, just go, go. And that's Peter. <laughs> so even that character of Peter shines through here. Okay, so here's, here's the part I forgot to mention last week, the really cool part. and I don't even have the references here. But you can look them up yourself. There's two of them where Paul, who said, I don't want that guy with me. They had a fight, he and Barnabas. That's what the Bible says. They had a stern disagreement, so much so that they broke up. And it wasn't Paul and Barnabas anymore. It was this other guy, Paul and Silas. They went off on the missionary journey. Um, He says later on, he's in Rome. uh, He's in prison. He says, please... Send Mark. I need Mark. Mark is John Mark. He's helpful for me. Send him. I need him. Paul says that. Uh, so it's this beautiful life story of he had this major reason to be on the sidetrack and sort of feel sorry for himself, to fe- feel shame, to feel useless and uh, you know, hopeless. And yet God moved him to actually write this tremendous gospel And to be reconnected with Paul and to have that that relationship restored in a a beautiful way. So we get a little feeling for the the humanness behind this letter. So today we're going to look at the first few verses. I have verses 1 through 8. And uh, let's open with prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the beauty of restoration that you are a God who gives us a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth chance many, many times. And you want us to seek restoration, to seek forgiveness, and to uh, be recommitted to you. And that's why we're here on this earth, to gradually, increasingly be more and more obedient and more and more sanctified, set apart to your service. Help us to learn from difficult, disappointing situations, to to be your servants, and to still serve you, still be faithful, available, and teachable, uh, as as Mark obviously was. So thank you for this example, and help us now as we open up this word. uh, As the song was saying before I came up, teach us, O Lord, from your precious word, this morning, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let me just read the short text for us today Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger. Before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea And all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. That's a uh, menu for Tuesday morning, by the way. (laughs) Verse 7, and he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. So gospel beginnings, the very first few words, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you see that word gospel in Greek, to anglicize the Greek pronunciation, you would say euangelion, the E-U means good, and angelion, uh, we get our word angel from that word, angelion. An angel is a messenger, and the angelion is the message, so this is a good message Or or good news. Uh, There's some key verses that every Christian should be very familiar with. uh, And I'm going to take the time just to really review that really quickly with you. Romans chapter 1. Which verse do you think I might go to? That's right. Verse 16. Romans 1, 16. Hear the word of God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Obviously the same word. I'm not ashamed of the good news. For it is the power of God for salvation. Now, that that says a lot, salvation. A lot of people say, well, I don't need salvation. I'm not in any any trouble. Well, the gospel implies that we're all in trouble uh, without divine intervention, without the work of God. We're lost. We are condemned already, the Bible says. So, we need to be saved. We're like we're out in the middle of the Monterey Bay on a windy day on an inner tube, you know, Uh, freezing to death. Uh, How long do you have out there? Not too long. You better hope that somebody sees you. You need to be saved. And you cannot save yourself. I don't care how fast you paddle backwards on an inner tube. (laughs) I used to do that real fast as a kid, right? Um, Now I look pretty comical on an inner tube, actually. Don't hold that image very long in your mind. But the idea is salvation. I'm in trouble. Help, help. For it is the power of whom? Of God. That's how much intervention I need to be saved. God has to save me. For the salvation to everyone who believes. You know, that's our part. Faith. That's the only thing we can bring. We bring our need, our sin, And we trust in Jesus Christ and we believe to everyone who believes. And and remember I said there's a transition going on in the New Testament from Jewish only to Gentile and Jew. Here it is right here. To the Jew first. The Jews had the word of God first. And also to the Greek. That is uh, a lot of us in, in this room. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes that means you can believe even right now you can say i you know i am a sinner i know i have offended you lord god you're convicting me i need to be forgiven i trust in christ alone for my salvation then real quickly again these are these are verses that all of you should know first corinthians chapter 15 for it's a whole chapter about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it also has this uh, very basic definition of what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians 15. Um, I'll just read from verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. There's this horrible possibility that you could be a false believer where you show interest, but you really haven't believed. So you look like a Christian, you sort of act like a Christian, but you're not. And that's what he's saying here. You you might not, if you haven't uh, believed fully, really, he says, unless you believed in vain verse 3 For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried and that he raised on the 3rd day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas by the way that's Peter then to the 12 then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive, as of the writing of First Corinthians, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, this is Paul speaking, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So that is the gospel, that Jesus Christ, as it says here, he died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. Why did he die? Because God required it. He wrote it in the Bible. He had to fulfill the requirements of God in accordance with the Scriptures. How important is the Bible? Very important. It required Jesus to die. And that he was buried. He was really totally dead. And he was buried. And then he was raised the third day. We celebrate in a few weeks, especially that, in accordance with the Scripture. And then he appeared. Uh, And so... Here we have the good news in Mark. He's saying, this is the good news. Now let's look at the proclamation of it. The proclamation. Notice, Paul says, I preached it to you. Uh, There's a a boldness of proclaiming what is the word of God, what is true. And and in this proclamation, uh, I'm going to open up here. First of all, it's predicted. He proclaims what was very... Predicted specifically in the Old Testament. It's complex. Uh, even like that psalm we had today, we have this victorious Messiah, the king, winning a battle. And then there's this cool stream, and he bends down and takes a drink of the water, and he's, he's refreshed. You know, what, what is that? You've got, you've got Christ, who's the God, a king. King, all powerful, yet he's a human being. <laughs> he's a humble human being who loves a fresh drink of cold water, or maybe a Starbucks. Uh, yeah, yeah it sounds a little funny, but he he needed to eat and drink. He was a human being, so it's this this gospel is complex. It's just like everything else God has created, except it's more more complex. Um, you know, God is an amazing maker, an amazing creator. It's so predicted, complex, it's divine, and yet human. So let's look at this predicted idea. How is the gospel predicted? He says, as it is written in in Isaiah, the prophet, he dates from roughly 700 B.C., before Christ. He says this, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now, this is exciting. Uh, I have pointed this out before. The the quote is, this is about the coming of the Messiah. It's prophesied thoroughly in the Old Testament. And it is this wonderfully complex, amazing, sort of mysterious event, this coming of the Messiah. The marvelous thing is that God has a very interesting and, as I say, complex, step-by-step plan for the coming of the Messiah. This word from Isaiah, This I'm going to read it now from Isaiah. This is Isaiah 40, verse 3, 4, and 5. A voice cries. Now, there's some poetry here. Uh, John the Baptist is out in the, in the wild lands. He's out... Uh, East of Jerusalem, near the River Jordan, and it's dry and barren. It's a wilderness, and he's like a howling wind out there. You know, the the voice crying out in the windy, desert, wild, kind of crazy environment. It's not like a good place for communication. It's not a well-carpeted room with soft chairs and pads Uh, None of that. No, it says, crying out in the wilderness. It says, a voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, if you were looking at that in the book of Isaiah, that's Isaiah 40 verse 3, it says, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. In your English Bible, it's going to have a capital L, a big L, and then another capital but smaller, L-O-R-D. It's all caps. See that? Now, what that says is, it's a code word the English translators put in there for you to show you that that is the Hebrew name for God, which, as I said a couple of weeks ago, it's the sacred tetragrammaton, the sacred four letters, Y-H-W-H. We think it's pronounced Yahweh. In the early days, see, every time YHWH is there in the Hebrew text, they put the vowels on it for Adonai, which is Lord. They would never say Yahweh because it was too holy. They, the Jews. And they, they, the God said, don't take my name in vain. So they said, okay, there's the name. Let's go over here. <laughs> we won't get close to the name. Therefore, we will never take it in vain. We'll call him Lord kind of has a feel-good logic, but it, I don't think it's right. Uh, I just don't think it's right. Uh, the Lord uses his name over and over and over again. So the, the interesting thing is when you take the sacred, sacred tetragrammaton and put the vowels of Adonai on it and don't understand what's going on, you come up with Jehovah. Ah, see? That's where that word Jehovah comes from. Not a bad word, but a big blunder. <laughs> Basically a mistake. Um, but here's the cool thing. And that's kind of interesting. The cool thing is, this is talking about Jesus Christ. Who was born as a baby boy. Born of the Virgin Mary. He's, he's human. But he's God. He is Yahweh. Yahweh exists in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And this is so amazing. Honestly, Mark writing this, if this isn't true, he should be stoned to death. You can't run around saying a human being is God. This is not acceptable. It's blasphemy. Deserving of a capital punishment. Take your head off. Take the capital off. Gone. That's what you deserve. If if Jesus isn't fully God, he then Mark is way out of line here by applying this passage of Isaiah to Jesus Christ. So it's it's so exciting. That's why I say it's it's wonderfully, mysteriously gorgeous and complex. See, Jesus is Yahweh and Father's Son. He's the Son of the Trinity. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a way for our God. Again, obviously very plain. I'm saying all this. Why? Because you know what? A lot of people will say silly things like, well, the New Testament never claims that Jesus is God. People say that, and they actually think that's true. And the problem is they haven't read the New Testament, quite frankly. Read it. It's, it's here. It's abundantly here. Jesus Christ is fully God. That's the amazing miracle, that he is the one that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. We sing in the old hymn. Amazing love. How can it be? Make straight in the desert highway for our God. Isaiah 40, verse 4. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. And the rough places plain. Somebody should write that down. That's a good tune. <laughs> it's Handel's Messiah. Gorgeous work. Uh, you know, you... God is requiring massive change. And if you read literally Zechariah 14, it seems like that fits really well into this because it says that Jesus Christ is going to come and his feet will fall on Mount, uh, Mount of Olives. There'll be this massive new valley, some 40 to 45 feet long, which is a beautiful, uh, right along the ridge of the mountains. He's uh, that's pretty cool. Anyway, there it is in Isaiah 40, verse 4. And then verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Again, the prophecies are like the little foothills that lead up to the bigger hills. We we don't see the valleys, the, the gaps between them. Uh, For Christ Jesus comes as a baby, and he's prepared by John the Baptist. The way is prepared, and yet he hasn't come in full strength and full glory. Someday he will, and every eye will see him. That's still a prophecy yet to come. We're in the in-between time. uh, uh, We're in that valley that we couldn't see from where we were standing. So here is John the Baptist out there howling these things. Verse 4 of Mark. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, look at what it says about John. Uh, verse 5. And all, this is, this is very cool, all the country of Judea, that's like the country folks, uh, the farmers, all the country of Judea and all... Jerusalem. We're going out to him and we're being baptized by him in the river Jordan. God is sovereignly bringing this massive crowd out to John the Baptist to be uh, baptized for the forgiveness of sins. So here's John. This is a you know, funny little artistic view of this, this really strange guy howling out there, these strange words, you know, why, Lord, why did you choose this guy? Why did you work in that way? You know, God could have had like Mr. Slick coming with amazing sort of, you know, press corps and popularity and uh, the best clothing you can imagine and kind of persuade people on how smooth and presentable he is. But he chooses this wild guy. We're going to think about that in a little bit. But I want to ask this question. Does, does Jesus need anybody to prepare his way? It's like he's sitting in the green room like, I'm hoping they introduce me. They may not have time for me tonight. I'm not sure. No. He, he could burst out there and do anything he wants, you see. He's the almighty God. Uh, I like to say that he, he he could have you know flown in with a you know an F F sixteen jet to, or he, 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 I so it sounds crazy, but he has he's all power. He could have done anything he wanted to. And he chose this way. There's a there's a wonder in that because we live in this age where Jesus has presented himself humbly and lowly, and he he tells us, "Come to me, believe, and I will give you rest." There's an age of grace. He's patiently wooing and calling us to himself. No, he doesn't need this, but he, he graciously uses us in the process. So oh, so that we called the proclamation. Now, how about preparation? I want to talk here about this idea of building a, a highway. This is sort of a modern-day highway in, in a wilderness place. Look at all the changes they had to make, Right? Build a straight highway for our God to come. You know, Plow it out, plane it out, pave it well, and get prepared for Jesus. He's asking for really large-scale changes. If we want Jesus, we need to be prepared for his coming. This is true for us today. God wants us to humbly come and ask the Lord to prepare us for more of Jesus in our life. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I showed a few slides. I'm going to show them again about repentance. Uh, Repentance starts with sorrow. You know, sorrow for sin is a gift of God. We shouldn't avoid, we should allow that sorrow to work in us the the godly sorrow of the elect. It means that God has chosen you. He's being so kind to make you feel miserable. That's a blessing. Thank you, Lord. Help me, let, let me feel that deeply and have that energy push me away from my sin and cause me to repent. No one knows the real character of sin. I mean, humanly, we don't know. Or its hideous nature. Or its awful depths. Its subtlety. You know, as you, even as you grow in the Lord, you get older and older, you think, well, you know, we're getting less sinful. No, you realize how, how tricky sin is. like, you tricky devil. It's like that moment in... Uh, the first Jurassic Park where the guy's going out to, what's he, what's he killing? The, the, one of these dinosaurs, right? He's out there with his weapon. You know that moment? And, and the raptors. And she, she comes, they come like to, the, to his side because they've distracted him. He's looking over there and she's right there. Uh, and he says something like, you tricky devil. And, and then he, tricky girl. Clever girl. <laughs> you need a movie quote? <laughs> right there. <laughs> you know, there it is. I mean, sin is subtle and clever. Gotcha! You know, you, could, you wanted to play around with it, and I snuck up behind you and got you. It's hideous nature, it's awful depths, it's subtlety and its workings except the quickened elect of God. It's a gift of God. Uh, the Bible says this uh, several times. The word for repentance is is metanoia, to change your heart and mind. And this is actually a gift of God. You know, if you're struggling with sin, pray like 80 times a day that God will make you hate it. You know, pray for repentance. God answers prayer. I've had this happen in my life. It's a beautiful thing. Here's some few words on this. uh, Acts 5.31 God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Here's Acts eleven eighteen. 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. There's this theme This weirdo wearing weird clothes with a weird diet is out in the wrong place at the wrong time preaching and everybody from the whole community is flowing out to him. It's unbelievable. And then he's out there saying, repent of your sins. And they are. How does that work? It's the work of God. It's the sovereign grace and the kindness of God. Here's one more question. quote on the idea of where does repentance come from? It says, uh, to a pastor, he needs to correct his opponents with gentleness that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Preparation is hard work. It's not easy building a, a, a highway in the desert. Hard, slow, ripping out the trees, getting the big equipment in there, doing whatever it takes to be prepared for the Lord. And remember this slide. I've shown it once or twice. What is real repentance? Who needs to repent? The sinner. Here's real repentance, some R's. Recognize. Acknowledge your sin. Don't dumb it down. Don't say, I was tricked. I, uh, the devil made me do it, or it's the woman you gave me, or, you know, own it. Don't, when you go to apologize for somebody, don't make excuses for why you did the thing. Own that guilt. I was wrong. It was the wrong thing to do. Oops, remorseful, right here. I'm sorry for it. It's good to grieve over sin. You know, go away from the service thinking, well, the pastor said it was good to be sad. It is good to be sad. Don't avoid sadness at all costs. It can be a wonderful thing. It's like if you step on something and it hurts your foot, you pull back right? That's a good thing that you pulled back. Um, resolve, which is the change of mind. It, metanoia means a change of heart and mind. Uh, God gives us this gift, and we have to ask for it and pray for it. Reform, which means I am going to change. Um, you know, if, if you're trying to stop a bad habit, there are some really specific ways to cut it off. Cut it off. Make the changes, and then restore is another good aspect of repentance. Apologizing as you have the opportunity. And here's another nice little slide on repentance. This is what repentance is. It's a turning from where we are walking towards sin, towards Satan, and toward death. We have a willingness to be coerced. It's like, Satan, I want you to force me to do this. I want you to, so I can say, oh, I didn't have a choice. No, you, you do. If God gives you this, it, then you turn to God, salvation, God. Questions? There's the phone number. <laughs> Don't send me any questions. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's preparation and presentation. I want to get back to this because the text is interesting. Not too many people does it mention what they were wearing. It doesn't even tell us what Jesus wore, right? But here, it's important what John is wearing. Uh, what is his presentation? He's this strange guy eating this stuff. Why does it tell us what he ate? Um, interesting. Is it, a, is it a diet suggestion? Uh, someone would say... Well, if you tried it, you might lose some weight. That's true. Good point. (laughs) Uh, What is the point here, though? And I I think there's three good points. I thought about this a lot. I mean, here it is, the holy text of Scripture. It says, now, verse 6, Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt. What what was the belt made out of? Oh, leather. Okay. Very specific. And he, he wore it around his waist. Where else would you wear a belt? I don't know, but that's where he wore it. And, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Probably not too bad. A deep fried locust dipped in honey. It's probably not too bad. <laughs> okay, so here's some ideas of why the Holy Spirit is so specific about what he wore and what he ate. First of all, uh, interestingly enough, he is fulfilling this uh, position in the Bible of Elijah. Uh, Elijah actually wore clothes similar to this, the great prophet Elijah. And at the very end of the i 'm just going to throw this out because we 're running low on time. you can look it up yourself, at the very end of the Old Testament, Malachi, the very last verse, it says i 'm going to send the prophet Elijah who 's going to prepare the people." And John is fulfilling that role. Jesus even said this of John, "If you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah." who is to come. That's Matthew 11, verse 14. And here's Luke 1, 17, about John the Baptist. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Yeah, that's exciting. That's saying you and I should be a people prepared for the Lord. His clothing and his diet matched his message too. His message is simple. His message is stark. He's not uh, complex. He says, "Repent of your sin and be baptized," and it fits the whole theme. The theme of what? The theme of the sovereignty of God. You know, a lot of pastors, myself included, we would say, "How do we get to be popular?" You know, honestly. I, would, I would, have, would have loved it. I would still love it, Lord. You know, if you'd increase our numbers, right? We, we could have two or three services on Sunday morning. We could have 1,500 people here. Or, and we'd have a massive missions budget. And you know, we'd have a big staff. And, you know, wouldn't that be good, God? You know, God? God can, can, oh, he's not receiving questions right now. <laughs> you know, I'm happy with what he does. But here's, here's my point. God is sovereign. If he decides to use some guy that looks like a wacko, who's eating some really weird stuff out there, and he has this simple, stark message, if he uses him to prepare the way for the Messiah, that's the sovereignty of God. That's what he chose to do. And we we worship a God who does what he wants to do, when he wants to do it. He raises one Ministry up, he lowers another ministry. He blesses here, he withholds his blessing there. And who's to know what his blessing is? You know, uh, his blessing might be that you and I get to talk to two people. We get to pour our life into one person. How important is that? It's huge. That's an eternal soul. Can you tell me the value of one human being? It's a beautiful thing to know that God is sovereign. He does what he wants to do and he'll use anybody any way he wants and he's got a plan for you. And our our thing is to say, yes, Lord, I want to serve you with all my might no matter where and no matter how. We submit to the beautiful sovereignty of God. He is sovereign. And he uses anybody the way he wants to. And then finally, so my... My um, outline is is this if you didn 't get it proclamation, preparation, presentation, bold and stark, and then fourthly, propriety. I had to go with a p propriety. What do I mean by that here propriety is this: the quality or state of being proper or suitable or appropriate. Uh, This is beautiful because here's John having power. It's exciting. Can't say I've ever been in that situation. But it would be exciting to be, uh, you know, having everybody in Judea and all the the country folk and the city folk coming out to see you. And all day long you're preaching and baptizing. Uh, That would be honestly very heady and very exciting. Uh, And what does he say? Look at me. I'm so great. Not in the least, right? No, he has propriety. He knows who's who. He knows who gets worshipped. And this is what he says. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I. I laugh there because it's actually a huge understatement. (laughs) John is this... You human being like you and I, just, just like you and I. And the one who comes after me is he's, he's mightier than me. He, he's the creator of the universe. He is he's God Almighty. He's the wonderful God Almighty who creates the stars and uh, you know expanded the universe at his will. This is uh, I took this picture myself. It's it's our galaxy. Yeah, We never get a picture of our galaxy, right? This is an artist's rendering of the the Milky Way. Uh, But God created this. It's it's a little thing, a work of his hands. He created all things. You're not kidding he's mightier (laughs) than you and I. He's the one we worship, Jesus Christ. We bow before him. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He comes after. He's mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. John, he leaves us in a perfect example of true humility. Don't let knowledge puff you up, right? Don't think you're something special because you've been forgiven. You are a beggar. I am a beggar. I am not the one who, you know, made the meal. I'm just the Butler to bring it out, right? Uh, And we are humble before the presence of God. He's the Almighty One. And here's here's his beautiful might. We close with this. I have a quote from R.A. Torrey uh, real quick. Let me read the word. It says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. R.A. Torrey was a great uh, American Bible teacher who uh, died in 1928 he used to work at Moody Bible Institute with D.L. Moody, and he was the pastor of Moody Church for a while, and then he came out to L.A. and started a little school called the Bible Institute of Los Angeles, often called Biola. That's if you take the letters and put the vowels on it. <laughs> no, it's a great school, Biola, my uh, mother-in-law uh, and father in law graduated from there, but anyway here 's the Holy Spirit. It is he and he alone who makes a man a new creature. This is the power of god john can 't change anybody or anything any anytime i can 't change anybody or anything or any time, but Jesus can give you the Holy Spirit and give you new birth. you know he, he can give you the opportunity of a whole new life uh, through Simple faith. We pray and come, Lord, we need you. Help us. And He changes us. He gives us a gift of repentance, of sorrow for sin, and brings us to Himself and rebirths us, regenerates us. Uh, the Bible says that a guy who's a human being who's not reborn can't even understand the truth of the gospel. It says that these things are uh, spiritually discerned you need the holy spirit and if you're starting to see this a little bit i got exciting news for you that's god working in you god's opening the gospel to you and you should just come and come to him right now so that he will be your savior so i say closing up let's let's do the work repent prepare the way for the lord let's pray Thank you, Father, for this word today, the beginning of the gospel. We thank you for the power of Jesus. And in our hearts, we worship Jesus Christ right now, who is fully God and fully man. He's our mighty warrior who stops by a brook to take a cool drink of water. He's approachable and real, and he's touchable. Uh, We will see him one day, and yet he's the mighty God who created the universe. And he's the the Lamb of God who suffered in our place. Lord, fill us with faith and confidence. And Lord, work in us deeply, sorrow over our sin. And give us that gift of repentance to turn to you, and to to be your servants. Thank you for John, John the Baptist, and even John Mark, both of whom just present us a great example of, of having the right attitude towards you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.